You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Good morning, church. We'll be in Psalm 33 today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you love us, that you have bestowed to us great grace. We are We are not deserving of the things you have done for us. For that, I say thank you. God, I love you. I ask that you would give give me the grace, give all of us the grace to love you more, to love you better. I pray, Lord, as we go through this psalm, that your words uh, would come alive to us and you would use uh, this time as a means of sanctifying us to exhorting us to worship you, to sing to you with all of our hearts. Help us to see the reasons we have to sing to you and praise you. I ask that. Amen. We are in Psalm 33, and this psalm starts with a a call to worship. It starts by telling us what we ought to do, and that is worship God. Then this psalm transitions and it begins to tell us all the reasons why we ought to want to worship God. So so first it it tells us that we should worship God and then it gives us the reasons why we ought to want to worship God. And it's absolutely beautiful. Let's look at it together. Uh, Verse one says, "'Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. "'Praise befits the upright.'" Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. This psalm is exhorting us to praise God through music and singing. A quick confession, by the way, I had to Google what a lyre was. Apparently, it is a, a really cool U-shaped stringed instrument that was popular in the world of antiquity. This psalm is telling us to use music to worship God, to praise God. Obviously, there's many different ways to, to praise God, to worship God, many different ways in which we tell God we, we love him. But singing and music happens to be one way, and singing in particular happens to be one very important aspect of our corporate worship gatherings. Throughout the the COVID season that we've been in, one of the things I miss the most is gathering with other Christians and singing. This psalm is telling us to sing. It's calling us to sing. But why singing? Why is singing and music so important? Well, Pastor Joe actually touched on this a few weeks ago. He was preaching at the uh, South Location Outdoor Gathering a few weeks ago when we were in Psalm 29. And in that sermon, uh, Pastor Joe helped us understand that when we come together with other believers to sing and to worship, it sort of recenters us, it reorients us. In, in a lot of ways. When we come together and we worship, it shapes us. It, it, it really impacts our thinking and our mood. It informs our outlook in a lot of ways. It, it, it gets our eyes off of our problems and onto the character and nature of God. This obviously is a good thing. 
Music and singing are extremely powerful in this way. This week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I had a chance to read through uh, two books or chunks of two different books. One is called The Power of Music, and the other uh, was called On Repeat. And what I learned from these two books was that researchers have proven that music stimulates more parts of the human brain than any other activity, which is remarkable to me. Researchers have proven that you are far more likely to remember lyrics of songs than you are facts of events that you've experienced. Although I don't think we needed researchers to tell us that. I think many of us realize that. Researchers have proven that music has a significant impact on our mental health and may even have significant impact on our physical health. There's actually some recent promising evidence that music may be able to be utilized in treatments for diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's in the future. It's fascinating to me. When you examine the research about music and singing, it appears that humans are literally hardwired to respond to music. Listening to music and singing seems to unlock a portion of the human mind that no other activity can unlock. In the book On Repeat, the author says that in her research, when people describe how music impacts them, people often talk about, and this is an exact quote, people often talk about how the boundary between music and themselves was dissolved. They feel like they've become one with the music in some ways. I bet many of you watching this have experienced something like that in your life. No other activity impacts us in this way. As humans, nothing has this sort of effect on us. So with this in mind, it makes total sense why this psalm, Psalm 33, would tell us to, to use songs and music to praise God. If music is that impactful and it unlocks portions of our mind, it makes total sense that God would call us to use music and singing and instruments to worship him. We also see this command elsewhere in the Bible. Psalm 147 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declaring the glory of God through singing and music is a common command in the Bible. And this is how this psalm, Psalm 33, starts. It's exhorting us to sing and, and use music to praise God. Well, then the psalmist begins to tell us all the reasons why we ought to want to sing to God. And that's what this psalm is mostly about. All the reasons to sing to God. Let's look at the next few verses, verses four and five. It says this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Another English translation renders those same two verses like this. 
For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Friends, why do we sing? Why should we want to sing? Because God is good. Because he is committed to justice and righteousness. And because he is the God of unfailing love. Pastor Nick wrote a song last year. We sang it this morning, this morning as a part of the household worship. It's called, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Here are some of the lyrics. Oh, how deep is your wisdom, God. You're just and true in all your ways. In every trial, you prove your love. You are good always. Church, we can sing those lyrics with confidence because our God is just and true, and he is good always. Our God has never had a wrong thought or a wrong motive. He's never done a bad deed. He is always good, always reliable, always trustworthy. I want to share a quick story with you. A few years ago, I was in the nation of India. I've been there uh, two separate times. And the first time I was there, I got into a taxi cab. It's not quite what you think. It's a, a small rickshaw vehicle. That's popular taxis. For those of you who've been to Asia, you've probably seen them. And when I got into this tiny little taxi, on the little dashboard, the taxi cab driver had these three little mini bobblehead dolls. And as soon as I got in, I looked at them, and then he said to me, he said, you American? I was surprised. His English was quite good. And I said, yes. And he said, you Christian? And I said, uh, yes. In many parts of Asia, uh, people assume that to be American is to be Christian. Um, so I said, yes, I, I am a Christian. And he said, yes, me too. I was like, oh, great. And so I was excited to, to meet someone who was a Christian in, in a nation who is predominantly Hindu. Um, uh, but, but the conversation took a little bit of a, a wonky turn. Um, he, he started telling me about these three little mini bobblehead dolls that were on his dashboard. He said, these are the three gods I serve. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, he said, yes, this is Vishnu, Shiva, and Jesus. And I, I kind of laughed because I was just sort of surprised by it. And he said, I only serve three gods. And this is quite unique in India because in India and in most Hindu nations, there are literally millions and millions of Hindu gods. So most people in Hindu nations uh, worship hundreds of thousands of gods or more. So to find someone who only worships three is, is quite unique. And, and you could tell he was actually really proud of himself. He sees the people in India, they serve many, many gods, but, but not me. Me, only three. And uh, I... I, I, as odd as it was, I wanted to sort of affirm him in that. I guess that's better, but still not quite right. Um, and we ended up having a conversation about why he only served three gods. And he began to tell me about all these different Hindu gods. And it became obvious to me that he had a pretty significant disdain for all the other Hindu gods, mostly because he found them to be unreliable. But the way he described them, I would walk away thinking, well, these Hindu gods, they're, they're moody, they're temperamental, they change on a whim, they're, they're random, you know, they're, again, they're unreliable and untrustworthy. You don't know what you're going to get with these gods, is sort of what he was telling me. And can you imagine living your life this way, not knowing what God might be like on any given day? 
he began to tell me, you know, some of these gods on some days, this, this sacrifice is fine, but on another day, that same sacrifice is not good enough. He began to tell me, on some days, some of these gods are attentive to prayer and they listen, but on other days, they don't care. They're, they just go to sleep. And he told me that he would only serve reliable gods, and he could only find three, in his opinion, and they were Vishnu, Shiva, and Jesus. It was a very interesting conversation. We ended up talking for about 40 minutes while he was driving me to where I was staying, and we ended up having some really cool gospel conversation, and eventually I did challenge him not to believe in three gods, but to narrow it down even, even further to just one, to only believe in Jesus, and he told me he would consider it. I never talk to that man ever again. Occasionally, I pray for him whenever I think of him. But that conversation really made me think in a lot of ways. As I compare our God to these false Hindu gods, I realize that our God, the one true God, Yahweh, he is different than all of those gods. He is categorically different from any of the gods that are out there. Our God is consistent. He doesn't change on a whim. He's reliable. He's faithful. We always know what we're going to get with our God. We're always going to get a God who loves justice and righteousness. We're always going to get a God who is committed to steadfast love. We don't have to worry about that from day to day. This is why we can sing lyrics like, you have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. We can sing these words with confidence because our God has no rival. There is no one like him. Side note, I know it's strange for a man to compare Jesus to these other two Hindu gods. I know it's strange for a man to confess that he worships Jesus alongside of two other Hindu gods. It can even be comical to some extent. But if we're honest, haven't some of us done the same thing? I mean, if we had many bobbleheads of all the things we worship, all the things that we love more than we should, of all the things that rival our affections for Jesus, what would they be? We wouldn't have many bobblehead dolls of Vishnu or Shiva. No, we would not. But many of us, we would have a mini bobblehead doll of Jesus, and right alongside of that would be a mini bobblehead doll of financial security, a mini bobblehead doll of popularity, or other people's opinions of us, or sports, or our kids, or our jobs, or our comfort, or our safety. You see, many of us don't have mini bobblehead dolls on our dashboards of our vehicle, but many of us do have mini bobblehead dolls on the dashboard of our hearts. Jesus is the king. He has no rival, and he deserves to be number one in your life. He is categorically different than all of the other gods that are out there, and he deserves to be loved and praised by all of us above everything else in our life. Be careful that you don't allow other things to rival your love for Jesus.
Let's continue through Psalm 33 here. Verse six says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth feel the, fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God spoke and bam, the heavens came into existence. God spoke and boom, the world came into being. God gave birth to the stars with his breath. He's the one that told the oceans where to stop. He, he's the one that put the planets into orbit. He's the creator of everything. Psalm 96 says, the gods of the other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The prophet Isaiah says this, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling them each by name. Let's talk about stars for a second. According to researchers at UC Santa Barbara, there are approximately 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Approximately 10 billion galaxies. That's a lot of galaxies. The numbers of stars in each of those galaxies does vary, but the average is about 100 billion stars per galaxy. Okay, so that's 10 billion galaxies and 100 billion stars per galaxy. That means there are 1 billion trillion stars in the observable universe. 1 billion trillion of them. And the prophet Isaiah tells us that God knows every single one of them by name. That's the God we serve. That God is worthy of our singing. This is why we can sing lyrics like, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy Lord of heaven and earth. Why else do we sing? Let's look at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. God's words and wisdom are far superior to our words and wisdom. And his wisdom will go on forever and ever and ever. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. What a blessing it is to be a part of the group that God has chosen as his heritage. If you are a Christian, that's you. We are a part of his family. He chose us. The creator of the universe chose us and brought us into his own family. I once heard Pastor John Piper say this in a sermon. He says, God in eternity looked upon me and he said, I want that man in my family. I will pay for him to be in my family with my own son's life. That's love, folks. That is mega off the charts love. So John Piper says, God saw you and chose you and he did what it took to get you into his family. What a blessing it is to be in that group of people. Church, that's a reason to sing. That's why we proclaim 
that Jesus sought me while I was wandering from the fold of God. This is why we sing, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Let's look at verse 13. The Lord looked down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. God has a grander perspective. He sees way more than we can see. He is omnipotent. And that power includes the power to shape the hearts of humans. He is omniscient. He sees and knows everything. Look at verse 16. It says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Think about what the psalm is saying for a second here. The king does not win a war because of the size and strength of his army. A king wins a war because God determined to allow that king to win the war. That's the reason why kings win wars, because God. Job 32 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Friends, God is in control of everything. Church, we sing to God because he is sovereign. I recently had a conversation with someone who had gotten in a car accident, and he said, the seatbelt, it saved my life. And I said, yes, that is the natural reason why your life was saved, but actually it wasn't the seatbelt that saved your life. It was God that saved your life. It was God that gave humans the the wisdom to invent the seatbelt. It was God that created the materials that that humans fashioned into the seatbelt. It was God who shaped your heart, giving you the desire to want to put on your seatbelt on that particular day. It was God who ensured that the seatbelt would actually work on that day. It was God who held the seatbelt together. It was God who made sure that when the car hit you, it hit you in such a fashion to to make sure that the seatbelt could actually make a difference. It was God that could control and change all of those factors. So it was not the seatbelt that saved your life. It was God that saved your life. Wearing a seatbelt has great value. My wife implores me regularly to make sure I wear my seatbelt. But remember, it is God who saves. It is God who governs all things. Our God is in control of everything. This is why Lecrae sang these lyrics. He says, you know what's in my hand? Me, I just roll and trust you. You cause the dice to land. I'm in control of nothing. Follow you at any cost. Some call it sovereign will. All I know is you the boss. God is the boss. God is in charge. And he's working everything out. Paul says to to the Corinthian church, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has planned for those who love him. Paul says to the church in Rome, very famous verse in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not some things, all things. 
even the things that hurt, even the things that we cannot comprehend, even those things are ultimately for your good. In this life, we face very real pain. All of us will face trials and difficulties and sufferings. But no matter what we face in this life, we know that all those things are for our, our good because God is working them out for our good. This is why we can sing lyrics like, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now you know why I'm a preacher and not a singer. But friends, we can sing those lyrics with confidence. We can say, God, whatever you determine to bring my way, I'm fine with it because you're good and I trust you. The last thing that Psalm 33 highlights is the love of God. Let's look at verse, verses 18 and 19. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Believer, his eyes are on you, and he loves you. God is attentive to, to you. He cares for you. He loves you. Look at verses 20 and 21. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our God is, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Friends, he is our help. Church, you can trust him. These are reasons to sing. Psalm 33 ends, the very last verse, with a prayer of sorts. Verse 22, it says, Let our steadfast love, O Lord, Excuse me. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. As we hope in him, his love will be on us. This is the type of God we serve, church, a God of steadfast love. Psalm 103 tells us that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you hear those words? He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Later in Psalm 103, it says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Church, he is overflowing with love for you. That's why we, we can sing lyrics like, like we sang this morning as a part of the household liturgy. We can sing lyrics like, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your love is kind. Church, we can sing those lyrics because that's who God is. And that's what the cross is all about. That's what we see at the cross, the kind heart of God. The cross is where God's mercy and justice are both demonstrated. The cross is the place where our sins are paid for by Christ, the one who loved us and died for us. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and yet was condemned and sentenced to die a brutal death but it's the death that I deserved, that you deserved. It should have been you on that cross. It should have been me on that cross. But our God, the one true God, the God that overflows with love, he made a way for us to be saved. And his mercy will be available to us forever. John Calvin, in his commentary on Psalm 33, he says, if we hope in Christ 
then we have no reason to fear that God will fail to continue his mercy towards us without intermission to the end. Believer, you hope in Christ, then God will show you mercy. And you have no reason to be afraid that he's going to stop. He will show you mercy, as John Calvin says, without intermission. He never takes a break from demonstrating his mercy and love to you. Friends, if you have trusted in Christ, if your hope is in him, your sins are forgiven, his love rests on you. This is why we can sing lyrics like, you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. This is why we can sing lyrics like, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. This is why we can sing lyrics like, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is why we can sing, see the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. We can sing these words, these lyrics with confidence. We, We can sing with confidence, no power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. We can sing these lyrics because of who God is and what he's done. Friends, God's streams of mercy are towards us. They are never ceasing, as the old hymn says. And God's streams of mercy that are being poured out on us, they call for songs of loudest praise. The mercy of God demands songs of loudest praise. Church, this morning my exhortation to you is simple. Sing to God. Give thanks to God. He deserve it. Praise him with songs and shouts and joy in your heart because he is good. He is reliable. He is the creator. He is unchanging. He is all-knowing. He has a grander perspective. He is sovereign and he overflows with love for you. Sing to him, church. Sing to him lyrics like... Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise and honor unto thee. Praise and honor unto the church. Sing to him.